Amen. Well, good morning, church. My name is Paul Bowden. I am on the guest services team and the speaking team. It's my privilege and honor to be here speaking to you this morning. And uh, I just want to welcome everyone for being here. Welcome members, guests, uh, people online, by video. Um, I just really encourage you to come back next week and listen to Pastor Mike. And I'm so thankful that they gave me the opportunity to be here and do this today. So welcome, everyone. We are about halfway through the year right now. In a couple of weeks, we will be. So how is everybody doing on their New Year's resolutions? Doing all right? Epic. Great. That's good. So we got a lot of New Year's resolution people out there. I've, I'm doing pretty good on the weight one that I made this year. So that's all right. Thank you so much. Um, but I also made another one because I'm, I'm a bit of a procrastinator. That can, if I'm not careful, uh, that can get me in trouble. That's a bad one. So any other people that may have that tendency? couple hands. All right, good. I'm not the only one. Pray for us, please. Uh, so I made uh, a New Year's resolution to not procrastinate, and I'm doing really good on it so far because I'm going to start it in September. So I'm feeling really good about my progress so far. So let's pray. And we'll ask God for uh, his blessing on the message and the rest of the service. Lord, we lift up this time to you, and we know, Lord, that you have great plans for it, that you're here right now, that you're blessing us with your presence, and that you've, uh, you've just got a great plan for us. You, you've got your word, and we thank you for your word, Lord, and we just open our hearts right now to it, and we open our minds in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. So, oh, it's working good. Um, last week, we talked about uh, a number of different things on God's timeline, right? It was the, his plan for salvation, and we can see it in every step, even from uh, eternity past. And the timeline kind of got developed for me on, on my breaks at work. Um, I have a whiteboard, and I would just get up, and I like to write. It seems like things flow a little bit when I'm writing on the whiteboard. I write what I'm learning. I can kind of restructure things and put them in, in an order. And pretty soon, I had a timeline um, that developed on it. And it looked like this, uh, with much messier writing. Uh, but it starts with eternity future. And that's the first thing on my timeline. I know there's awesome timelines out, out there that would fill a room, Right, and a lot of uh, uh, a lot of homeschoolers have some super cool timelines. I had to keep mine uh, just so simple that it started with eternity past, and that's just where God was. God was there, and then He decided to create. So then we have creation, and that's become one of the most attacked uh, things in uh, in our culture because if they can take creation away, then they can take God away. And if they can take God away, they can, we can live however we want. Uh, there's no sin, and we don't need a Savior that way. So I just want to remind us, however, as we're reviewing, that Genesis 1.1 says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So God created the heavens and the earth. And I'm just going to add two more scripture. One is John 1.1, 1, 1, and it's in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Uh, our two-and-a-half-year-old granddaughter was starting to learn 
Scripture. And she says it this way. She said, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word wasn't God, and the Word was God. So I thought, man, that's great. But in the beginning means before creation, and it denotes a preeminence of God and a preeminence of Jesus. He always existed. And I want to read one more. It's in Colossians 1, starting in verse 15. It says, He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him. Amen on that one. And he is before all things, and in him all things consist, which means he holds all things together. And then the next verse um, says that he has the preeminence because he created all things. So he is first. Um, One other thing about the review is that the creation that God created is enough for us to know that he exists. It's enough for us to know that... um, that he has eternal power, and we can see his Godhead through creation so that we are without excuse, the word says. So next we have the fall. So creation, Adam and Eve were created, the fall. uh, That's where sin came in the world, right? And they needed a covering. So then we saw the first covering, which is the first sacrifice that pointed everyone to Jesus. Everything in God's plan of salvation points to Jesus along the way, right? So death is required from sin. Also, blood is required because that's where the life is. So uh, without, without uh, the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. So God began the process of covering sin. And throughout the whole Old Testament, we see that sin is covered. And it points to Jesus. So then we have the law, and there we have Bible prophecies, the rules, the feasts, the sacrifices, all again pointing to Jesus. And they did this for about 1,400 years because God wanted them to see their Messiah when he showed up on the scene, right? Um, So we've got the sin offering, the peace offering as part of the law. We talked about that sin transfer uh, for the righteousness or the the perfection of the sacrifice. Uh, the peace offering was the lamb offering and uh, all kinds of rules. Then Jesus comes, lives his life, has his ministry, and dies on the cross. Um, if you were here last week, you probably could see the passion that I have for this because it, it is so awful what he went through, but it's so awesome at the same time because he did that for us because of his love. And God made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Amen? So that restored our fellowship with God that sin took away. And then God reached down, tore the veil from top to bottom, signifying that uh, we don't need man to go into his presence and plead for us and ask for forgiveness. And he invites us to do that on our own through the blood of Jesus. So he died, was buried, rose again, and through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men. And we discussed the fact that we've got to now receive that free gift 
in order to have the eternal life. So now we're in the church age, and we've been in the church age for about 2,000 years. The church age is from the day of Pentecost to the prophesied rapture of the church, and that's where we are. This is where we're going to spend most of our time today, um, and because we're going to talk more about making that decision, and this is where it has to happen. It has to happen before we take our, our final breath. So, Everything forward of the church, the church age, uh, is prophesied about. And we can be confident that what the Bible says about the coming times, uh, because the Bible prophesied everything else up, leading up to Jesus, leading up to the church age, all of that is prophesied about. In fact, there are over 100 uh, specific prophecies that talk just about Jesus alone. And every prophecy came true to the letter at exactly the same time, exactly the same way. And that gives us the confidence to know that everything that is about to happen that's prophesied is going to also happen, just as it is prophesied. In fact, Jesus told his disciples in two different places, John 13 and 14, verses 19 and 29, he said, I tell you these things before they happen, so that when they happen... Uh, you will believe. So look at it this way, as long as we're on a timeline. I tell you these things before they happen, so that when they happen, you will believe. Does that make sense? All right. That's exciting to me. Um, so we're in the church age. Next is the prophesied rapture of the church, the tribulation, the millennial reign. And I just want to pause right here before we move on. There are a couple judgments that we should know about. You know, when we talk to people about uh, their sin, uh, it's going to lead to judgment, right? One judgment is actually a good one uh, that I want to talk about, and that's the Bema Seat judgment. Uh, the Bema Seat is a Greek term, and they get that from where the athletes go to receive their medal. It's like being on the podium, and everything you worked for, uh, for the in entire your life uh, that you did for the kingdom we get rewarded for. Isn't that awesome? There's rewards. Uh, the one that, that most people think of is the great white throne judgment. And this is not for believers. This happens at the end of the millennium, at the end, the end of the reign of Christ. And those who are not saved, uh, those people are not written in the book of life, the Lamb's book of life. And those people are judged. And unfortunately, uh, the judgment is they go into the lake of fire. And that's not a popular message right now. But the, the followers of Jesus have their names written in the Lamb's book of life in heaven. So that's good news. We should be encouraged by that. And also, there should be a warning to those who haven't accepted Jesus for their payment uh, because that's what the Bible says is the final result. So 1 Corinthians 15, 24, after all of these judgments are done, the Bema Seat judgment, the white throne judgment, the sheep nations are separated from the goat nations. Um, there's a couple other things. But when all of that is done, what I thought was interesting is that 1 Corinthians 15 says that Jesus delivers the kingdom to the Father. And I thought, I'd never heard that before. But I thought it, it makes sense because all the judgments have happened. There's, there's nobody left to judge. There's nobody left to save. At that time, it's over. 
You're either going into the kingdom, into eternity future, or there's a judgment waiting for those that don't have their name in the Lamb's book of life. And that's where we see the new heavens, the new earth, uh, the new Jerusalem comes down, and the kingdom goes into eternity future. So that's exciting. That's a little bit of a wrap-up uh, of, of last week. And, and we talked about the natural mind doesn't have the ability to grasp eternity past, God just was, and then creation and everything leading up to eternity future. It's impossible for the natural mind to receive that. So uh, what we want to do is, is just uh, have the message and talk about the way to have a, a spiritual mind, the way to be regenerated. And we see in 1 Corinthians 1.18, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. So if you're here today and you realize there's got to be more than just what I see out there, just more than creation, more than what our senses can detect, uh, you're in the right place. So be encouraged. Uh, help is on the way. So we're going to pick it up here. This is the church age, also called the age of grace. Uh, and like I said, the church age goes from the day of Pentecost to the prophesied rapture of the church. And repentance is also not a popular message for some reason. <laughs> it's because it, it represents a dying to ourself. Uh, God loves us enough. Have you ever heard this statement? God loves us enough to accept us right where we're at. But he loves us too much to leave us there. So this is the first part of that statement. God loves us enough to accept us right where we're at when we have a repentant heart, godly sorrow, and faith to reach out and receive that gift that Jesus is offering. Amen. So he's not going to leave us in our depravity, in our deadness, in our blindness, in our dark state. We don't have to get cleaned up. We don't have to figure out our sin before he comes and cleans us. That would be like cleaning up before you go take a shower, right? Plus, we don't have the ability to do that. Only with God's strength can we turn from our sin and turn to him. So that's the, the convicting role of the Holy Spirit in repentance. We see it in John 16, 8. And he, when he comes, will convict the world concerning sin. So he convicts us before, uh, when we're sinners, uh, he convicts us of our sin and tells us that there's a better way. Amen. So God meets us in repentance. The definition um, comes from a Greek word, metanoia. It simply means to change or to turn, uh, change our minds, to, to change um, you know, what, what our focus is, to change what we're doing, and then also to walk toward something else. So it's walking toward turning from our sin, turning to God and beginning to move to him. And we see this in 1 Thessalonians 1.9 where Paul is commending the Thessalonians. He said, um, uh, how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. So we turn from idols or our sin, turn to God, and begin to move in his direction. Now the entire ministry of John the Baptist was repentance. Matthew 3.2 said, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. 
The entire uh, ministry of Jesus was repentance. The Pharisees asked Jesus in Matthew 9, why does your master eat with sinners and tax collectors? And Jesus answered and said, for I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. The ministry of the apostles in early church was repentance. We see this in Acts 2, where Peter told the Jewish people that God made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Jesus. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. That's the ministry of the Spirit, cut to the heart. And said to Peter and the rest of his apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Jesus' answer was, repent, every one of you, and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission, which is the forgiveness of sins. And we're talking about this church age. Uh, The church has been given the great commission by Jesus, right? In Matthew 28, 19, it says, go therefore, this is our commission from Jesus himself. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And that baptism is the baptism of repentance. And heaven recognizes it and rejoices when one sinner repents. These are Jesus' words, Luke 15. I say to you that likewise there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than the 99 just persons who need no repentance. One more. Found in Acts 26, it's Paul again. He is uh, talking to King Agrippa, and he's mentioning that he went out and took the gospel message to the Jewish people first, and then to the Gentiles, that they should repent, turn to God, and do works befitting repentance. So there we see again a turning from sin to God, and then moving in his direction, which... uh, he says, is works befitting repentance. So it's not just a changing of the mind about who Jesus is or a changing of the heart. It's a changing of our actions, a changing of what, who we are a slave to, actually. It's running from something to someone and doing good works. So it's, it's not you know, adding Jesus, as we said last week, to my best life. It's not my life at all. It's actually a completely different life with a completely different master. It's him living his life through us. Amen. So what kind of lifestyle are we moving toward? That's the question. Um, I'm going to take a quick break and uh, give you a couple terms because I think this is going to help us going forward. And then we'll come right back to it. But one is justification. And when we receive that free gift of salvation of what Jesus did on the cross for us, we are justified by our faith in what he did. Justification is the act whereby God pronounces a sinner to be righteous because of that sinner's faith and having received the free gift of salvation. And we are justified at the moment of our salvation. It's something that happens in a moment. Uh, Next is sanctification. This is a process. This is walking with the Holy Spirit. Uh, and relying on his wisdom and his strength. It's a process by which the Holy Spirit sets a Christian apart from the rest of the world by his wisdom and strength. It's the process by which Christians are made holy. It's the progressive and outward effect of obedience to the word of God, and it's a growing in the Lord. It's a spiritual maturity. It's the process of becoming spiritually mature, 
And unlike justification, which happens in a moment, this goes on for the rest of our life after we receive the free gift. And one last one is glorification. And this is God's final removal of our sin nature. So the sin nature is removed. Uh, There's also a glorification of our bodies so that we can live in the Father's presence going forward in the kingdom. So we see how this is kind of a natural progression and how and where it happens on the timeline of God's plan for salvation. Paul also says uh, throughout his writings that we are saved, we are being saved, and he says one day we will be saved. So that's justification, sanctification, and glorification. We are saved when we're justified. We are being saved from our sin um, with the lifestyle that the Holy Spirit is helping us to live, and then one day we will be saved. We will be glorified. So sanctification, this is the part of the statement that God says that he loves us too much to leave us there. Isn't that awesome? We don't have to be in our sin. We don't have to be in the darkness. We don't have to be a slave. We don't have to keep going back and doing the, the negative things and experiencing those negative um, consequences. And the good news is this is something that we get to do, right? A lot of us, we, we want to do something. We can't do anything to, to earn salvation. That's all Jesus. But now we get to do, we get to work, and we get to um, earn those rewards even that I mentioned a little bit earlier. So here's a bunch of stuff that we can start with ourselves, and it's about to get a whole lot less academic and intellectual and a whole lot more about personal responsibility and what we can do. Does that make you feel better? Amen. All right. So if you would turn with me to 2 Peter 1, we'll look at 2 Peter 1, 1 through 11. There's a little bit of personal responsibility in here. And it's exciting. I like... um, I like how he says in the first verse, we won't read it all, but he does say in the first verse that this letter is written to those who have obtained or received like precious faith with us by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So this is written to Christians like us, something that we can, we can do and latch on to. Uh, he says, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and the knowledge of Jesus our Lord. That's what he said in 1 Peter. We talked about last week, right? Grace is revealed or given to us when Jesus is revealed. He's the, uh, you know, he's kind of concealed in the Old Testament, but even though there's pictures and types and shadows that all point to him, and he's revealed in the New Testament um, in the Gospels. So he's saying grace and peace be multiplied. Let's skip down to verse 5. Here's where we come in. But also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue. So that's the saving faith. Add to your faith. That's personal to us. That's the one where we had to make the decision and say, yes, Jesus, I want, I have faith in what you did for me. I want your free gift. That's something each one of us has to do. So he says, add to that virtue and add to virtue knowledge. And knowledge is something that we, can, we have a little bit of control on too. And remember, this is a process that the Holy Spirit helps us through. So add to your faith virtue, virtue knowledge, that's, that's uh, in the word, 
and to knowledge, self-control. Now we're starting to talk about um, godly character that the Holy Spirit is beginning to build into us. Self-control, add, that, add perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness. So he adds godly character to us, and now um, he's even bringing us to a form of godliness. And what, what is meant by that is because we know Jesus in the word, because now he's living his life through us, we start to think like him. We start to see things from his perspective. We're not as selfish and self-centered as we used to be. We're starting to see things differently. So add to godliness, brotherly kindness. That's more outward. You know, we started with faith, which is inward. Now he's working more outward things in us. And to add to brotherly kindness, love. Love is the ultimate, right? Love is, that's what God is. God is love. And when we have love, now, not only brotherly kindness are we doing things for people, are we helping people, but now that even takes the priority. Now, others and our service of others is a priority over our own needs. I think that's super exciting. I know we can't do that without the the strength of the Holy Spirit. So he says in verse 8, For these things are yours and abound. If these things are yours and abound, you will neither be barren, which is idle, or unprofitable to the kingdom, nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we know that that brings grace. Uh, verse 9, he starts to get a little um, um, contrasting the good stuff. And he says, For if he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness. So if we lack these things, if we're not allowing the Holy Spirit to bring us through in a sanctification process to make us more Christ-like and give us godly character and uh, bring us to a point where we can love others, then he says that uh, it'll bring us to short-sightedness even to blindness. Now, blindness is... Uh, where we were when we were in our sin, right? So we don't want to be there. And it's interesting that he says, and has forgotten who he, that he was purged from his old sins. What if we forget that we're, we're purged from the, the old sins? Those sins don't have um, any, any grasp on us anymore. If we forget that, our natural tendency is to what? To go right back to it. So, I just encourage you to stay on this path of sanctification. And then verse 10 says, Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent. He said diligent in 5, diligent in 10. Be even more diligent. This is where we can work on it. We have something to do. Isn't that great? Yeah, we can do it with the help of the Holy Spirit. He says, be even more diligent to make your calling and your election sure. So, When the Holy Spirit is doing things, working on us, giving us this character, more Christ-likeness, what should happen on the outside? The outside should start reflecting what is happening on the inside. He is saying to make your calling and election sure. So we should see in our own lives if there is short-sightedness or if there's even blindness. We'll talk later about Paul says to test ourselves whether we're even in the faith. Do we have short-sightedness? Do we have blindness? Or, um, or do we have light? 
are, are we seeing year by year by year improvement in these characters, improvement in thinking more like Jesus, improvement in his char- uh, being more Christ-like. So he says, if you abound in these things, you will never stumble. And I love this next verse. And you will have entrance, or entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. So we need to submit to him so that Jesus is glorified in our life. And like I said, this is uh, the Holy Spirit's ministry. The Holy Spirit ministers to us uh, in this process. And Jesus said in John chapter 14, actually 14, 15, and 16, he said, when the Spirit comes, he will bring to remembrance things concerning me. His ministry will point to me. He will lead you into all truth concerning me, and he will glorify me. So the Holy Spirit leads us to be more Christ-like and have those godly character uh, traits that, that he needs us to have to, um, to further the kingdom. So just a few milestones of sanctification, what this might look like in our lives. Just a few slides. Here we go. So the first one is we, we should test ourselves. 2 Corinthians 13.5 says, Examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you know yourselves that Christ Jesus is in you? Unless you are disqualified. Another not real popular. I didn't think I'd get too many amens on that one. Not a popular message. But we are to test ourselves. Where are we in this process of 2 Peter 1? Um. 1 John 2.3 says, Now by this we know that we know him, if we keep his commandments. He who says, I know him, and doesn't keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. By this we know we are in him. Amen. So when we are obedient to the word, when we have a hunger and a thirst for the word, uh, when we feel that call to holy living, the Holy Spirit is working in us to do that as well. Um, when we're transformed, there's a, this whole thing is a transformation process. We will be changed. We are transformed by the renewing of our mind, and we start to have a desire to do hard things. We'll have a desire to, um, to be in his word more, to obey his word. In Luke 9, uh, he said to them all, For if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. And I thought it's interesting that the only thing that he allows us to take with us is the thing that uh, will, will help us to die to ourselves daily, and that's the cross. Um, and it can get hard sometimes, and when it got hard for the disciples, there was a time in Jesus' ministry where many of his followers were leaving him, and he turned to the disciples and he said, are you going to go too? And Peter said, Lord, to whom shall we go? (laughs) You have the words of eternal life. All that other stuff doesn't matter. Even if it's hard sometimes, uh, these are the words of eternal life, and there should be a hunger for it developed. Jesus said to those who believe him, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. 
So freedom in the, in the word, freedom in Jesus is far better than any other uh, way that we could live. Amen. So a lot of times uh, when we're immature or acting immaturely, <laughs> that's easy to do, uh, what we want to do is take the word and look for ways to bend it to our, our own personal um, view and what we want our interests to be. We, we try to bend it sometimes to our own interests, but a mature view and an intimate uh, view is to know the word well, to abide in it, to live in it, and to want to bend myself to it. That's a more mature view. So this is an absolute key, what I'm about to share with you right now. It's a love of the truth. We need to develop such a love of the truth that it's, it becomes our life. It becomes water to our soul. It becomes food uh, when we're hungry. And I'll have you turn to uh, 2 Thessalonians 2.10. Um, we'll just cover this real briefly. Uh, but it shows how important the love of the truth is, and the concept of this is deception. So it reads that the lawless one and Satan, get this, with all power, uh, signs, and lying wonders will try to deceive us. That's why we need to know what the Word says, because there's going to be power, signs, and lying wonders uh, that he's going to throw at us to try to deceive us. So the love of the Word will keep us from deception. And if we don't, verse 11 says that even God will send strong delusion so that they believe the lie. So we should receive the love of the truth and make it our life and abide in it like Jesus said. We should have his mind. And Jesus is our example of doing hard things. And then I'll get off the hard things. Uh, but he did the hardest thing of all. And what did he pray in the Garden of Gethsemane? He said, Lord, if possible, take this cup from me. But then he went on to say, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Amen? And then he went through with what he had to go through. Uh, one of my favorite verses is 2 Corinthians 3.18, and it says, but we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror, which is this, this is our mirror, where we see Jesus, the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as the Spirit of the Lord. So it's the Spirit of the Lord's uh, job, if you will, role to uh, transform us into the image of the Lord. And that sanctification process is what does that. And just think, we have the Spirit of the living God living in us uh, to help us day to day to get transformed into His image. He develops that godly character. He makes us more Christ-like. And I just love it. So I'm going to give you a real quick couple pieces of my testimony and how I saw the, the sanctification, still seeing it, obviously, I have a long way to go. But um, early on in uh, my sanctification process with the Holy Spirit, I just tried to get my golden ticket, honestly. I tried to get my ticket punched, my get-out-of-hell-free card, and then I wanted to go back to doing what I was doing. And I think that's pretty, uh, um, pretty typical. But that was for sure me. I tried to add Jesus to what I was doing. I didn't feel like I had biblical examples that were my age that I could follow. So the Holy Spirit started showing me through Scripture the things that he wanted to help me either add 
or removed from my life so I could get on this process so he could set me apart and so that I could uh, become more Christ-like. Um, and the first thing that I noticed that I had to remove was relationships with my best friends. And they were my brothers. They uh, were guys that I lived with. I went to college and lived with one of them. I went and lived in Colorado for two ski seasons, lived with two of the other guys. And I mean, these, were, these guys were my family outside of my family. And I had to tell them, hey guys, I, I can't go this direction anymore. I can't walk with you this way anymore. I, I need to go with the Lord. Uh, and I knew God wasn't going to dwell and walk among my friends with that lifestyle and, and the lifestyle that I was living anymore. And intellectually, <clears throat> you know, it seems like, okay, I can walk with them or I can walk with God. It's a no-brainer, right? But actually walking that out was one of the most difficult things that I've ever had to do by far. Um, and it's, it's, it was one of those defining moments of my life as I look back. And the thing about defining moments is that a lot of times we don't know that we're in a defining moment until we see the consequences down the line. And they might be negative and we think, okay, that was a defining moment and I didn't handle it right. I need to change it next time. Or these, I'm really glad I did that because I can see the, the fruit of it right now. So a little nugget here, the... The, bet, the better that we can identify that we're in a defining moment as it is happening, uh, the better your life will be because you'll be able to lean on the Holy Spirit's wisdom and make the right decision, and he will give you the strength to carry it out and get the, the positive response. So I love the fact that he doesn't look at us and say, all right, you got to get this figured out before we go any farther, Right? Why don't you hurry up, make the right decision. Oh, that didn't work. Okay, try it again. No, he's right there with us, leading us and guiding us and giving us the strength. So there's a lot more I could say about that. The clothes, cars, music, um, you know, trying to be cool isn't cool. <laughs> it was a terrible lifestyle and it wasn't attractive. It was judgmental, negative, secretive, idolatrous. Uh, so that is not attractive to people. It's not attractive to other people. So God can't use that type of life in order to build the kingdom. We need to submit to his process and uh, what he wants us to do. So I'm going to skip ahead just a little bit. One of the things that we'll do in the sanctification process is a lot of times when we're walking, and this is a walk, right? The Christian life is a walk. What, what he'll have us do is turn around and see somebody in the midst of something that, a challenge that he just got you through. So he'll want you to reach back, grab their hand, and help them out, right? Help them get through. Help them conquer the challenge. Uh, so that's one thing that, that I've seen a lot of in uh, people that have subjected themselves or submitted to the sanctification process. Another is sharing the gospel. And I'll close with this. When we share the gospel with people, we shouldn't be afraid to tell them of the judgment that is to come and where our sin has put us. Uh, we can't get to the good news of the gospel until we relay the reality of the bad news, right? So there really isn't as much good news without the bad news. So we try to tell them, this is what the Bible says. And it's like blaming the policy, right? I'm not saying you're a sinner. <laughs> the Bible is. So, and the Bible can handle it. 
uh, it, can, it can support that weight. Um, but have you ever seen Ray Comfort or Kirk Cameron on YouTube share the gospel with people? They will tell them how deep in sin they are with such love. And I love that about them. Uh, and just a, kind of an aside, when somebody sees the sin that they have and that they're a sinner, don't keep telling them they're a sinner. They get it. And then the Holy Spirit can work on that. It's like, let, let the Holy Spirit hammer that nail in their life, not you. Um, you tell them, but I've got good news. And this is the good news. Um, and I want to encourage people with just two simple things. One is sharing the gospel is simple. So we should keep it simple. Use the word of God and the blood of the lamb. Uh, be confident and in the sound doctrine of salvation, and also give them the word of your testimony, what Jesus has done in your life. And there are tools to help us do that. Uh, you can do an internet search of the four spiritual laws from Campus Crusade. There's a Roman's road to salvation. Simple stuff where you can help somebody uh, just walk down that road and receive the free gift. But I think a, a big one for a lot of us that have friends and family that aren't saved, and we've, we've tried to reach out to them, we've tried to uh, share the gospel with them in maybe a few different ways, and it's just not clicking. And I want to I relieve some of the, the burden for you, and that's because we need to be obedient to and, and intentional and faithful to the sharing of the gospel, Right? We share the best we can. We be diligent to do it well and with love. And then we don't have the responsibility anymore of the outcome. We leave the outcome to two people. Who are they? One is God, and the other is the person themselves. So we don't carry. I know, I know that the weight is heavy because we love our family. We love our friends. Uh, and so... I just want to encourage you that we don't carry that weight. Paul said, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase, so that neither he who plants is anything, or he who waters, but God who gives the increase. It pleases God to work in that person's heart. It pleases him to use us to work on, in their heart. And this, this might sound different, but he created them, and he loves them more than any of us ever could. There's a couple that Lisa and I shared the gospel with, uh, for example, years and years and years ago. And it, it just didn't click. It didn't, they didn't make a decision. Uh, and they've been watching us in this sanctification process for decades now. And we are, this is to encourage you, we are seeing uh, small opportunities, small openings, and they're more and more interested in spiritual things now because God has been working on them for 20 or 30 years or more, and um, we have been growing, and not waiting for them, but growing in the Lord. And so they've seen that, and uh, um, I think they're more and more open. So that's encouraging, and I hope, I hope you realize that you are doing that for people, even without saying a word. They're watching us. They're watching us go through this process and improve. So... Um, so who gets to carry the weight? I want to turn to uh, Luke 10. And share with you what Jesus did. Jesus shared the word with cities, entire cities. 
And they're found in Luke 10, starting in verse 13. It's Chorazin and Bethsaida. And he says, woe to you, Chorazin and Bethsaida. Uh, For if the mighty works that were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented a great while ago. And he also gives the same warning to Capernaum. And he said of Capernaum in Matthew's account, he said, it will be better for you. It will be better for Sodom, the city of Sodom, than it will be for you on the day of judgment. And we know God wiped the city of Sodom off the face of the earth, so I don't know how it could get worse, but that's what Jesus said. So if you go down to verse 20, we're going to look at what what Jesus' response was. Uh, First of all, verse 20, he says, Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, and this is when the uh, disciples came back, the 70 disciples came back from their, uh, from their trip to evangelize. And he said, Do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. You see the priority that he puts on our names being written in heaven in that miracle that happened? So he said, he gives us perspective there, and then he addresses the Father regarding those cities. He says, I praise you, Father, after the cities rejected him. I praise you, Father, he said, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and the prudent, and you have revealed them to babes. Even so, Father, for it seemed good in your sight. That's why he praised the Father. Didn't get the results that he was looking for, probably, but he praised the Father for the plan that he has. And then he said, all things have been delivered to me by my Father, and no one knows who the Son is but the Father, and no one knows who the Father is but the Son, and the one whom the Son wills to reveal him. And then get this. This is a little extra thing that I can't just skip over. Then he turns to his disciples and said privately, Blessed are your eyes which see the things you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings have desired to see what you see and have not seen it, and hear what you hear and have not heard it. That's just like uh, what Peter said in 1 Peter when we read it last week. The prophets wanted to study this thing that they were prophesying about, and they thought, who are we saying this to? It's not us. It's to us in the church age. And we have the completed book. This This is the completed account of Jesus. In the Old Testament, prophets, sacrifices, feasts, and in the New Testament of uh uh, the gospel message. So this is a mystery hidden. It's hidden for us, not from us. So it's Jesus concealed, Jesus revealed. We have the complete word of God. We can't carry the weight of someone's decision to receive the free gift. We are responsible to share. We, we are responsible to be obedient, uh, but we can't carry that weight. So the encouragement, and I'll close with this, In Revelation 21, the encouragement to us as believers of Jesus is that one day there will be no more tears. It says, And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, come down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, 
and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, no sorrow, no crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give of the fountains of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. Amen. Could I have the worship team come up, please? And like I said earlier, if, if you're one who says, you know, I know there's more to life than what I can see, um, if you question whether you've been reconciled to the Father or if you wonder where you're going to spend eternity, either in the lake of fire or with him, I know that sounds harsh, but that's, those are the two options. Uh, scripture says we should examine ourselves as to whether we are in the faith. Now when they heard this, Acts 2, they were cut to the heart, and Peter said to the rest, Peter said to them, uh, Repent, every one of you, and be baptized. So I just want to encourage you, if you need to make that decision, just to do it today. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. And a no decision today is a no decision. We're not promised tomorrow. We need to act when we have the opportunity. And here's Jesus' offer. He says, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Amen. He also said in John 10.10, 10, The thief does not kill, come except to kill, steal, and destroy. I have come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. So I'd like you to stand with me, please. And if you'd like to make that decision right now, we'll pray with you to not single you out. You only have to pray this prayer one time. You're not joining the church, but you are joining the family of God. So pray with us. Pray, Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner. I need you. Thank you for dying on the cross to pay my sin. I open the door to my life and receive you as Savior and Lord. I thank you for forgiving my sins and giving me eternal life. Please take control of the throne of my life. Live your life through me, Lord Jesus. Make me the kind of person that you want me to be. And it's in your name I pray. Amen.